Welcome to the Second Call Defense Podcast. I'm Dean Reek, and I'm joined by Sean Maloney, defense attorney and co-founder of Second Call Defense, the world's most comprehensive legal and financial protection for armed self-defense. If you think you're prepared for armed self-defense, just because you've seen it on TV and in the movies, you may be in for a horrible surprise. It is almost never like the movies. In the real world, self-defense is fast, brutal, and terrifying. And you can get into serious legal trouble. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and in a moment, I'll be joined by Sean Maloney, criminal defense attorney, former BFA board member, and co-founder of Second Call Defense. Imagine this. It's 3 a.m. You and your wife are asleep. Your children are down the hall. Suddenly, a loud crash wakes you up. You can't be sure, but it sounds like a window being broken downstairs. Then you hear voices. Have a group of intruders entered your house? It sounds like they're moving through your home and coming closer. Is this real? Can this really be happening? You're still half asleep. And as the panic explodes in your brain, you fumble to open the drawer in the nightstand and grab a gun with shaking hands. You want to wake your wife and secure your children, but seconds later, a dark figure appears at your bedroom door. You can't breathe. It feels like your heart is leaping out of your chest. There's no time to think. Your vision narrows. Your ears pound with the sound of your rapid heartbeat. The figure moves toward you. It's like you're watching it all happen from across the room as you hear bang, bang, bang. Now your wife is screaming in terror. Your children run out of their room crying. The figure starts swinging his arms, battering your face. There's something in his hand. A knife? Are you being stabbed? You can't see it. It's too dark. Everything is happening too fast. You hear it again, seemingly from far away. Bang, 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 bang. Now you can't see the figure. Where did he go? You knock over a lamp trying to turn it on. The adrenaline is racing through your veins. You stumble out into the hallway and almost trip over the figure lying on the blood-stained floor. How did he get there? You didn't see him run. You were desperately trying to protect yourself and your family from a home invasion. As your wife grabs the sobbing children, you pick up the phone. You don't know if the person you shot is dead or if others are still in your house. That's when you begin to feel sick to your stomach. You don't even remember dialing 911 when the operator suddenly says, 911, what is your emergency? Your mind is racing, and you can barely hear yourself talk. So you scream into the phone, I killed him, I think, I don't know, the man had no right to be here, and he tried to stab me and I pulled the trigger, and it's not like I wanted to shoot him, but it just happened so fast, and I don't even remember. The 911 operator tells you to calm down and tell her what happened. You're upset and don't know what you're saying. You also don't realize that every word you say is being recorded, and when you look down at the still body at your feet, you gasp, oh my God. The man who just attacked you is actually a young boy, and he doesn't have a knife in his hand. He's holding a broken cell phone, and while your vision begins to clear, you can see gunshot wounds in his back, You realize you shot him as he turned to run away. You keep rambling on the 911 call. I didn't mean to do that. That was an accident. 
I swear he had a knife. I saw it or something. I don't know. Oh my God, what have I done? This was a mistake. The gun just went off. Now what? You know you were attacked. You know you had no choice. But will the police see it that way? What will a grand jury think when they hear you say on the 911 call that you shot a boy by mistake? What will a prosecutor see in court when he presents evidence showing you shot an innocent young man armed only with a harmless cell phone, then chased him down and shot him in the back as he ran away? He may even argue that the boy is the victim because he didn't even see you and he was just waving his arms to defend himself against an unprovoked attack. You find out later the boy is part of a gang of young criminals who robs homes for cash and guns, sometimes severely beating the homeowners. But the jury never hears that. Perhaps all they hear is that no one else was in the house and the voices you heard came from the boy's phone with the speaker turned up. The red and blue lights of several police cars flicker through your windows. What will you say? What should you not say? Will you be arrested? Is there an aggressive prosecutor in your area who doesn't like people owning guns? Can you afford a lawyer if charges are brought against you? What will happen to your family? Will the boy's family sue you for everything you own? You feel completely alone and helpless. You survived the physical attack and protected yourself and your family, but how will you survive the aftermath? You're not even sure you did the right thing. You start to doubt yourself. Another wave of panic washes over you. You're alive, but it's starting to feel like your life just ended. Let's bring on Sean Maloney to talk about this. Sean, self-defense situations almost never play out the way we imagine them. Attacks can catch us by surprise. There's often a lot of confusion, impaired vision and hearing and you know, most people just aren't prepared for this. Why don't, why don't you talk about that a little bit from, from your experience with working with clients? Well, you know, really, you made a very good point. Uh, the only way we can practice self-defense, so to speak, is for us to read about the armed citizens or to use our imagination and think, what would we do if somebody entered our house? Or what would we do if someone tried to strong arm us at an ATM machine? And so we try to play through those scenarios and one thing that I've learned uh, just dealing with clients who have been forced to use lethal force and self-defense is that nothing goes the way that you planned or thought about it. And there's virtually no time whatsoever for decision-making. Uh, I've had two recent cases where uh, sign call defense members have had to use a firearm in self-defense. And both cases ended up with the uh, assailant being shot and killed. But in both cases, uh, one client was mopping the floor at the end of a shift at a pizza shop. Two men with masks on burst through the door, sprinted at him with crowbars in their hands, screaming, you know, obscure things that were going to kill you. He had no time. He had time enough to draw in the fire. And then another gentleman uh, was being a good Samaritan to jump somebody's car, pulled his car around back, was in his trunk, bending over, getting his jumper cables, got pistol whipped. And by the time he turned around, the assailant had shot at him three times. Fortunate for him, he missed. And uh, my client returned fire and, and struck both times. But one thing that, that I was just sat thinking about it uh, a week or two ago was there's virtually no time. There's no decision-making process. And uh, it was over before it started. 
and nothing ever goes the way that I would ever play out a scenario in my mind. There's always a point in time where in my mind, I'm thinking about when do I have to make the decision of, of, of pulling my firearm or shooting uh, in both those cases, if you had to step back and, uh, and make a decision and ponder anything, it was over with. And unfortunately, I probably would have been at the opposite end of the spectrum because I would have been getting shot. Um, Sean, I, I genuinely believe that police can usually see the truth of what happened when they show up. I mean, they're professionals. They see this stuff all the time. But sometimes the evidence is just not clear, like the scenario at the beginning of this podcast. And the thing that I think takes people by surprise is being in the right doesn't mean that you're going to stay out of jail. You can still go to jail, even if you did everything right. You know, you're absolutely right, Dean. There, and there's a, many different ways that you can land in jail. You can be in a jurisdiction uh, that has the policy that if you pull the trigger and someone gets shot, then the person with a gun that, that shot the other person is going to go to jail. Or uh, when the police arrive, they're investigating a homicide. Despite the fact that, you know, we have an affirmative defense of self-defense, when we take another human life under the law, it's homicide. And, and that in and of itself at common law is a crime. So then when you have the, the, the homicide, you have the affirmative defenses. Yeah, I, I shot him, but, and then the but part comes in. And when you're thinking and trying to explain the but part of any, uh, of any situation, one thing that happens more often than not, especially with the psychological and physical aspects of a threatening encounter, uh, you really don't know what happened. You're inconsistent with your description of things. You don't remember a lot of things. And because of all that, just the very nature of a self-defense incident, there's questions that have to be answered. I had a, uh, a client that uh, homicide detectives called me in two o'clock in the morning because there had been a shooting in self-defense. And there was a couple questions that most of it was on film, but they had to have these answers and they had to clear things up before anybody could go home. Uh, and so I, I, they left the room. I spoke with my client and then he answered the very simple questions, but those were definitely questions that needed to be answered so they could clear it up. So even though we like to think that a self-defense shooting is black and white and maybe in your mind, in my mind, they are. But when you're pulling everything together and the police are coming from square one, looking at evidence, getting statements, uh, there's often a lot of questions and uh, a lot of things have to be taken into account before a decision can be made. Because after all, uh, someone's dead or someone's severely injured. So uh, the investigation is something that that isn't done uh, haphazardly. So you're talking about affirmative defense. What about when it comes to things like Castle Doctrine? Or, you know, in Ohio, we removed the duty to retreat, things like that. How does that play into the affirmative defense? Well, in both cases, Castle Doctrine really doesn't come into effect. And then uh, the duty to retreat really doesn't come into effect until after you've already made the subjective decision that you're in fear for death or serious bodily injury or harm. And then if you're in a state that has a duty to retreat, you have to make that, uh, that decision, can you safely retreat? And then with the Castle Doctrine, uh, what that is, is just saying that it's a presumption that the homeowner uh, did everything they had a legal right to do. But remember, it's a presumption that's rebuttable by the prosecution. So the prosecution can come in and say, wait a minute, things don't look good to me, or they had a prior relationship. I wonder what else is going on. And at that point in time, uh, the Castle Doctrine, sure, in the beginning, as a threshold question, you acted reasonably, but they can still rebut those presumptions and you can still end up in jail just as easily. 
And and you can get in some pretty serious trouble. I mean, I, I'm not the lawyer, you're the lawyer, and I'm not talking about Ohio law here, but I was looking up some different charges for for homicide. I mean, if you're if you're found guilty of doing something wrong, whatever the charge is, like deadly conduct, that's up to a year in a county jail. You could be found guilty of criminally negligent homicide. That could be up to two years in a state jail. Mm-hmm. Deadly conduct uh, with a discharge of a firearm, up to 10 years in prison. And and I mean prison, not jail. Right. Aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, up to 20 years in prison. Then there's manslaughter, which is 20 years. Murder, which could be life for 99 years. And then the, the big one, capital murder, which could be life in prison without parole or in some states, the death penalty. I mean, Sean, this is pretty scary stuff. You know, we think about self-defenses. We have a right to defend ourselves. We want to do it right. A lot of us get training. But if it doesn't go down the right way, if the evidence doesn't look right, you're facing some serious jail time or some serious punishment. You know, you're right. And each one of those statements also, as I sit here two years ago, I could have never imagined a situation where I would have a client who used a firearm in self-defense and, and he would be charged with capital murder. Uh, in this particular case, it was on TV. He had film, so everything was recorded. Uh, the state had uh, uh, stand your ground and the castle doctrine. Uh, the assailant from next door entered on his property, attacked him. My client uh, fired in self-defense, hit the person, didn't kill the person, the police rolled up with a SWAT team after our client called and said, hey, I was attacked. I was forced to use a firearm of self-defense, and he was charged with capital murder. I was stunned. Well, when you're charged with capital murder, all of a sudden, they're not even going to set a bail or a bond, and then it goes on from there. Fortunately, uh, the second call defense member was acquitted of, 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 of all the uh, murder and, and firearms-related charges in that case, but it was just amazing that somebody in a self-defense shooting, clearly self-defense on, on video would be charged with capital murder. But again, they're in a wrong state in a wrong part of the state. And that was just something that happened. It was a California case. And uh, it, it was, it was shocking that a, that a 64 year old man was fighting for life in prison, whatever life he had remaining. So even though we like to think it's clear, there's any number of other charges that you can be, that can be filed against you. And again, uh, depending upon where you are, what time of year it is, who's in office, uh, you can end up in, with some pretty serious problems and pretty serious charges against you. And any of the felony charges are going to are going to land you in jail for a year or more. Well, so why would they do that? Why capital murder? That I mean, even to a non-lawyer, that seems insane. Is that just a matter of they overcharge so that they can get a lower charge? I would I would have thought they overcharged, but they actually tried that individual on capital murder. Uh, I don't know, Dean, that was something that was never answered because when I looked at all the evidence and consulted with the attorney in California, none of it really made sense. You had everything on video. You had kind of an ongoing argument. Uh, it was a neighbor to neighbor thing. They had been fighting for years. In fact, the, uh, the neighbor that was the victim had beaten uh, the second call defense member in the past, entered his house and, and physically beaten him. And so that's why I got the cameras in. And then uh, they just had another argument, another fight outside, and the the victim, quote unquote victim, entered uh, the yard of the client and tried to enter the home, and uh, and, and that's when he fired in self defense. Really, in my mind, 
there were no facts for self-defense, but they tried to prove because of the prior relationships and the prior fights they had that uh, the second call defense member was planning on luring him over to his property and, and, and shooting him. So, of course, all that was disproved. But again, probably I can guarantee you if you're in Butler County, Ohio or Hamilton County, Ohio, there's not a prosecutor alive that would touch that. And we would never hear about that case because it would have been immediately ruled uh, a lawful shooting in self-defense. So, again, it just all depends where you happen to be at that point in time. That's why it's so important to make sure that you have an attorney from where the shooting took place, an attorney five or six states away. Uh, don't doesn't really make that much of a difference. You need somebody that knows a prosecutor, knows the judges, knows all the team player, and, and is respected in the community. So, you know, Sean, in America, we learn a lot about the law from TV, and we know how reliable that is. And TV crime shows have taught us all that you can be prosecuted only once for the same crime. I mean, we're all really sure about that, but that's not really true, right? Because there are two different legal systems in the U.S., and most of us don't think about it that way. There's the criminal system, in other words, the state versus you, and then there's the civil system, which is another person versus you. Those are two entirely different systems. So you can be prosecuted tw- twice. Can you talk about that and just explain the difference between these systems and how you're basically in twice the jeopardy every time you uh, are involved in a situation like this? Sure. Those are both good questions and good things to, to, to point out. When you're talking about not being tried uh, twice for the same crime, you're talking about double jeopardy in the criminal case. So once you're acquitted uh, of a criminal case, you can't be tried uh, even with new evidence that comes about because you were prosecuted once and you were acquitted. But you have to be convicted beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's a very hard standard. That's the toughest standard there is. And then we have the civil case. So after the criminal case is over, you can be sued, sued civilly by a family member or by the person that, that you, you use self-defense against. And that standard of proof is a preponderance of the evidence, which is essentially more likely or not, or 49% to 51%. Something just as, as marginal like that. And, and obviously, there's a huge difference between proof beyond a reasonable doubt and then about preponderance evidence. And all of a sudden you're on civil trial now where the burden is so much lower. And then all of a sudden people's feelings are, are, are coming into what happened and it can be a, a totally different ruling in a civil case, much, much easier to be found guilty or liable for whatever they're suing you for as compared to a criminal case. So the criminal case, luckily, you're going to be over to you're acquitted. So you get to go home at night and sleep civil case. You lose. You don't have a house to go home into. Sean, you co-founded Second Call Defense to help people deal with situations like this. And you mentioned that a moment ago uh, with a uh, with a Second Call Defense member out in California. And, and full disclosure, I've been involved with that organization and it is a sponsor of Buckeye Firearms Association. But I'm just wondering if you can take a moment and describe Second Call Defense and exactly what it does for people who are members. Sure. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, Dean. Probably 10 years ago in my legal practice, I had been representing, uh, I had a, a rash of cases where people brandish their firearm in self-defense or when people were forced to use their firearm in self-defense. And I realized how differently they were being treated by the court system. Plus, I realized that most of these clients that could afford uh, the $50 for a concealed carry permit, some ammunition and the gun, couldn't afford my retainer and couldn't afford bond money. And I realized how hard it was working to make sure that this person that I that I knew was innocent, rights were protected. 
And I, and I kept saying there had to be a better way. And so I, uh, I along with a few others, founded uh, Second Call Defense, which essentially is, I like to say, protect, protection uh, from trigger to trial. It provides immediate assistance for somebody who is forced to use the firearm in self-defense. So you're attacked. You use your firearm in self-defense. You use a bat or a knife in self-defense. And you call 911 is the first call that you make. As a citizen, you want to make sure you do the right thing. And it's much better if you make the call to summon help from both the police and the ambulance. And the second call you want to make is the second call to fence, where a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week emergency hotline is available. You make the call. You're connected immediately with an attorney who starts talking you through the situation. Oftentimes, 95% of the time when I've taken emergency phone calls, it's long before the police ever arrive. So I'm on the phone with our, with, with our member before the police arrive. We talk about the situation and then the police come in and if things get too heated, uh, they simply hand the phone to the police officer. So you have a 24 hour emergency hotline to take care of whatever the emergency is immediately. And then after that, if the person's arrested, uh, second call defense arranges for bail if, if it's legally being offered. And after that point, we also find you uh, uh, the top three attorneys from the area that, uh, that the shooting took place. And then uh, if you're incarcerated at that point, one of our attorneys will make the decision on who's gonna represent you at that point in time, or you choose your attorney and send call defense immediately wires the money for a retainer to that attorney. And then as the, as the trial or the system continues to move along, uh, send call defense pays attorney's fees, expert witness fees, uh, forensics fees, uh, all the way up until the end. And we also offer uh, psychological uh, counseling for somebody. I mean, let's face it, nobody is ever prepared to, to take another human life or shoot another person uh, in self-defense. And if you need help dealing with that, then we want to make sure that you have all the psychological help that, that's necessary. And we also provide money for immediate bond, uh, which is which is so important to, to have that bond money available. And we take you up through the, through the end of the trial and contact your emergency contact people because at that point in time, you really don't have the ability to do much uh, to take care of yourself. So I like to think that we take care of you until uh, you can take care of yourself. And if someone wants to join, they can just go to secondcalldefense.org or they can click on a link on the Buckeye Farms Association website. And we have a banner in our newsletter as well. And uh, there's a lot of additional information on the website. I mean, it's a very informative website. Everything's spelled out there, uh, what you get as a member and what you can expect at the different membership levels. Is there anything else you want to say about that, Sean? Yeah, and, and I, I encourage people, even if for whatever reason you don't become a member, there's great information. There's information on how to handle the 911 call. There's information on lethal force and law. There's a lot of great information for a person who's either a concealed carry holder or somebody uh, who owns a firearm and, and is prepared to use it in self-defense. It's a, it's a great informative website. And then again, if you want to join, uh, click a price and a plan, sign up and immediately you're going to be covered from trigger to trial and we'll take care of you if you're ever forced to use your firearm in self-defense. Well, thanks for all the great information, Sean. I look forward to continuing this discussion about self-defense and the law in upcoming podcasts. We're going to get into a lot of other topics. So uh, thanks, and we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot, Dean. That's it for the podcast. If you're not yet a member of Second Call Defense, you can join anytime at secondcalldefense.org. Use the promo code PODCAST. That's P-O-D. C-A-S-T, to get your first month free. 
Until next time, this is Dean Reek and Sean Maloney for Second Call Defense. Stay safe.